All right. So another story I want to tell you about Mike Lindell is that you always see him with a cross on. First time I ever saw him it was in Washington, D.C. at the National Prayer Breakfast, he had a big cross on. He is a Christian, and it's great because he's not afraid of his faith. And one of the other things you can get beyond the 100 products that he has, like the slippers that I've talked about, or the small pillows for your back if you're sitting too much in a chair, is you can get some religious pillows. Now, here's one. This has to do with Noah, Noah and the Ark. And on the backside, they have stories about Noah and the Ark. Now, some people may be offended by that because they think it's politically incorrect to talk about your faith or politically incorrect to call yourself a Christian. I think it's terrific in this day because the world has gone to hell, and we all know that. And it's good to know that even if you have grandchildren, you have young children, you want to get their morals and their values in order, you can always, and it's not just Noah that Mike Lindell is pushing. He's pushing all the biblical stories on these small pillows for kids. So if you're interested in having your kids introduced to some values and some Christian values and Christian beliefs and the stories in the Bible, go ahead and order any of these biblical pillows for Mike Lindell. Now, how do you get them? You get them by the promo code CDM. That's us. So just put in promo code CDM and you can get a biblical pillow for your grandchildren or your young children. And now let's get to our guests. So today in American <laughs> Conversations, uh, Todd and I have our good friend back, Laura Logan. Uh, Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So we're going to talk about Ukraine and Todd and you guys know more about it than I do. So, I mean, Todd, just shoot away on this one because you guys are really down in the weeds. So what I'm concerned about, Laura, is the uh, escalation by the U.S. government. It's obvious they're trying to make this into a, uh, I don't know if a conflict with the U.S., but at least where we are continuing the war and uh, providing hope, which is probably not valid to the ukrainian people that we will back them up in some way i mean what, what are your thoughts on that because i'm worried we're you know these guys were blinking and uh what's his name Sekdef uh was austin. just over there in austin and they're pushing to uh to get us in the conflict what are your thoughts on that you know i share your concern um and mm -hmm. it's one of uh many concerns that i have with ukraine because if you look at it what Ukraine is really is there's been uh, two coups that uh, Ukraine and this particular administration, these particular leaders have been involved in. One is the soft coup in Ukraine to get rid of mm -hmm. a pro-Russian leader. And the other is a, a soft coup in the United States to try to get rid of a duly elected president, Donald Trump, right? Mm -hmm. So to right. me, as much as this is about Russia and Ukraine, this is very, very simple. For all those people out there who just still don't understand what they're looking at, Putin wanted a barrier between himself and NATO. He wanted Ukraine to be a neutral zone. The United States and the rest of the West said no. He asked to be a member of NATO. We all said no, right? And then we promised that we wouldn't expand eastwards. And, and throughout the 90s, right up until now, we've expanded and expanded and expanded. And Putin said, you're not going to bring all your missiles and all your weapons and everything else to my door. Plus, we have used Ukrainian territory and Ukrainian people and Ukrainian neo-Nazis. They're not even neo-Nazis. I don't know why we call them that. They're Nazis. Okay. We've used Ukrainian Nazis against Putin. 
We've used him against our own country. Don't forget, it was the Ukrainian ambassador who broke with you know, political protocol in the 2016 election cycle and wrote that Ukraine would not support Donald Trump. Never mind everything else when you go to, uh, you know, uh, Maria Yovanovitch telling the Ukrainian government, thanks to John Solomon's great reporting, we know that she was telling the Ukrainian leaders, oh, just ignore this, this Donald Trump person. He's not really running the country. We're still in charge. What, what does any of that mean? It means that we have a much greater vested interest in what happens in Ukraine than we're being honest about. And not we, the United States, because we, the people who believe in sovereignty, who believe in borders, who believe in this country, we're not the people trying to get involved in Ukraine. Let's be very clear about that. The people who care about Ukraine's sovereignty, they don't care one bit about the sovereignty of the United States. So it's a little bit hard to find anything that they say that escalates this conflict as credible. And by the way, anyone who thinks that Vladimir Putin, I love watching all these military analysts up there and all these defense experts and everything and how they all go on about Russia's getting their ass handed to them, right? They're getting their butt kicked in Ukraine. It's not as easy as they thought it was gonna be. Do you really think that Russia has used all of its military capability in Ukraine so far? The aim for Russia is not to leave Ukraine just basically in ruins, hating them. These are, many of the people in Ukraine are ethnically Russian to start with. This is what we leave out of all of our conversations, right? We don't wanna admit this to anybody. There are actually people who care about their ethnicity, who care about their nationality, and who are not willing to give it up. And guess what? That doesn't make them Nazis. In fact, in Ukraine, it's the other side who are Nazis. It's the one who claim mm -hmm. to believe in the Ukraine. And notice the Ukraine is what it's actually called because it's a separate, it's a territory. It was never actually formalized into a country. And it's more a satellite state. What Ukraine has become, especially thanks to the CIA and the Obama administration and now the Biden administration and the deep state in between, what it's become essentially is a client state of NATO in the West and the United States. So absolutely, I share your concern about the escalation. I share your concern. I mean, nobody wants the people of Ukraine to suffer. Nobody can look at the suffering of people, but when it's used and exploited to make all of us just feel sad, right? We're all supposed to be brokenhearted and we're not allowed to look any deeper than that. We're not allowed to look at the history, either recent or further back. We're not allowed to look at what it means for the United States. We're not allowed to have any conversation other than the conversation they want us to have. And that simply is just wrong. It's wrong on every single level. And don't forget what that's taking place against, the backdrop against which that is taking place in the United States. And I can't say it enough. Durham, 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 mm -hmm. Durham, 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 right? Yeah. I mean, you literally cannot say it enough. The COVID narrative has fallen apart. And what's really falling apart, the one that scares them more than anything, is that we the people they're not waking up they have they are awake they have woken up all over this country and what has been happening is we don't realize it because their stories are not told go to one defeat the mandates march and watch black and white rich and poor mexican hispanic american whatever you want to call it watch everybody i saw big burly irish new york firefighters standing up on stage with little black female firefighters 
talking about exactly the same thing, fighting for our sovereignty, fighting for the United States of America, standing together, unified. You know how hard they have worked to divide us? You two know. Christine, Todd, you know. You've been tracking it. They have worked that hard to divide us. And guess what? It's not working. This reeks of desperation. Never mind what they're covering up in Ukraine. Do you think, Laura, there was, I think, go ahead, Todd. Oh, I was going to say, I don't, I don't think most people understand, um, if you take a step back, what they practiced in Ukraine in 2014 when they did the coup against Yanukovych, they ran the same thing basically against Bernie Sanders. And then when Trump won, they ran the same play against Trump. And people don't understand that Ukraine is a place where if you can't do something in the United States for transparency or rule of law reasons, you do it in Ukraine. So that's money laundering. It's bio labs. It's, it's all mm -hmm. kind of organized crime, essentially. And that's what the American people need to understand. Yes, it was very simple. I mean, Ukraine had a pro-Russian uh, president who, by the way, wasn't anti-European or anti-Western or anti-NATO or anti-the US. He wasn't any of those things. You know what he wasn't? He just wasn't a puppet. And I, you know, people um, don't realize because they've been deprived of this information. There was a lot, you can go back and find clips of Obama talking about the right of the Ukrainian people to protest peacefully. It's the biggest joke ever. It should, that should resonate with every single American who remembers the summer of love. Do you remember American cities burning to the ground while our leaders were on TV calling it the summer of love and peaceful protest? It's exactly the same playbook, except they were doing it in Ukraine. And Obama was out there saying, you know, defending the rights of the people. And literally, literally, these cities are burning to the ground. I mean, I love how they've changed the name of Kiev, right? It's not mm -hmm. whatever they want to call it right now. It's Kiev. It's always been Kiev. We've always called it Kiev. And I'm not going to play to the stupidity of changing the name now. But what people will see that they didn't see in the United States is something very interesting that they haven't been able to erase. And Christine, you're going to laugh at this, right? Because you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. The BBC, Al Jazeera, NBC, all of these people, what did they do? After the soft coup that brought the, you know, the sort of the righteous glorified uh, resistance to power in Ukraine, guess what emerged in plain sight for everyone? The Nazis, right? And guess what, then you've got all these reporters who were like, hmm, gee, this, oh, this, you know, these guys are pretty hardcore. They're, they're talking about all the people in the east of Ukraine and the Russian speaking people and the separatists, they just all deserve to die. They just all deserve to be wiped out. Then these guys are wearing swastikas. Like, what's up with this? Oh, yeah, because just guess what? Your heroic revolutionaries were always Nazis. They date right back to the Second World War, to when the Germans invaded. Why did they invade and have such as were able to, to establish a base of the SS, of the Nazis in Ukraine? Because there were so many sympathizers. You know, when, when people stand up in outrage and talk about the hundreds of thousands of Ukrainian Jews who were slaughtered. What they leave out is how many Ukrainians were responsible for their deaths, how the Ukrainians were part and parcel of that, and how the CIA, who's had its fingers dirty in this for a long time, Alan Dulles, when he was head of the CIA, 
protected the Nazis of Ukraine from the Nuremberg trials. They weren't held accountable then. No, instead, they were allowed to stay there underground and flourish. And you know what we did? We kept feeding money into them. And when we needed them in 2014 to get rid of the leader we didn't want, we used what has become the playbook. And guess what? Look at the videos out there. They're all over the internet. I love it because, you know, the, the propagandists from Media Matters and all the so-called journalists who parrot their talking points, you know, they like to say uh, that none of this is true. But unfortunately for them, it's all over the internet, right? You couldn't take down all those BBC and Al Jazeera reports. They live forever. And what's striking about them, if you pay attention, is that the guys on the streets who are the Nazis, well, guess who they look eerily similar to? What do they wear? Oh, they wear all black. Does it sound familiar? Black hoodies, black coats, black from head to toe, black backpacks. Guess what tactics they're using? Chopping up bricks and throwing bricks. Hmm, fireworks. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Yes, it's the tactics of Antifa. And that should come as no surprise to anybody because when I was investigating Antifa during the summer of love and even long before that for my reporting, what did I discover? that uh, Antifa trains in Ukraine. It's one of, if not their main training base. And that should surprise nobody because of what you said, Todd. What they do in, and what they cannot do in the United States, they do in Ukraine. And it's just, it's amazing to me that it's fine for Russian oligarchs and Russian allied oligarchs to fund and finance whatever they want in Ukraine, as long as it benefits us, right? I mean, people don't even know anything about Zelensky. They lord him up as some sort of, you know, hero of the moment. And they don't even know that a few short years ago, he was not only was he playing a president on television in a TV show, but the TV show, the name of the TV show is the name of his political party. I mean, does it get more obvious than that? They pluck AOC, you know, mm -hmm. AOC from a bar. They pluck Zelensky from a TV show. I mean, they pluck whoever they want to because why? Because they control the elections and it doesn't matter who runs, right? They can get whatever puppet they want into power. Laura, let me ask you this. A couple of weeks ago, we received a phone call from somebody and there were four or five Ukrainian members, female uh, Ukrainian members of parliament. They were coming to Washington, D.C. And these some people asked me, if they, you know, would I be interested in, in talking to them? And I said, yes. And then <clears throat> I found out that they were basically coming to D.C. because and, and this and there was a pattern to, to a group of female MPs from Ukraine. When Zelensky uh, addressed the U.K. parliament, there was a group of female members of parliament from Ukraine that went to London. This group came to Washington, D.C. after Zelensky addressed the joint session of Congress. Then they went up to Canada after he addressed the Canadian parliament. What do you make of that? Because they're asking, at that point in time, the group that came to D.C. was asking for the release of the money that the Congress had decided on. And then at the same time, what they were asking for was the no-fly zone. And it's so Zelensky was asking the parliaments, asking Congress. He was addressing, you know, the Italians as well, the French. But it was all the pressure on the no-fly zone. And I thought to myself, why isn't, why would they have that message? Because that wasn't going to happen. Do you still think that that's in play right now? No. 
I don't think a no fly zone no fly zone has ever really been in play. But my first question, Christine, would be who paid their way? I mean, well, apparently some, America, some Americans paid their way. Okay, mm -hmm. and I, what I haven't figured out is if it's if it's the corporations that are going to get the contract for the rebuilding of Ukraine. I, I, I have not gotten to the bottom of that, but yes. Well, what you, what, you don't have four female by chance, right? I mean, it's it's four women, not four men, because who's going to be more sympathetic? And, mm. and the, what you're seeing here, so I have a document uh, that was written in 2012, and it was published with regard to gun control in the United States. What has that got to do with what we're talking about? Well, I'll tell you, it's very simple. This document lays out over and over and over again, the same strategy that we see across everything. And it is targeting emotion, emotion, emotion. So they tell anyone who's a victim of gun crime, never to, or who, you know, only to talk about their emotional story. They tell everyone who cares about repealing the second amendment, Never talk about the Second Amendment. Never address what it is you really want. Use deception. Hide what you want. Only focus on the emotional argument because that's the one that they cannot win. And as we all know, Sandy Hook happens. What are you going to do? Have, a, have an argument with the, the mother or father of a child who's just mm -hmm. been murdered about the Second Amendment and the Constitution? You're going to lose. It's the same thing when it comes to the border. Never talk about national security. Mm -mm. Okay. No, no, no. Don't talk about national security. Don't talk about the cartels. Don't talk about the crime rate and what is happening across the southern part of the country right now. And, and so on and so on. Don't talk about all the Americans who are dying from fentanyl overdoses, record numbers, and so on and so on. No. What do we have to do? We have to talk about the mother and child coming here for a better life. That's the only thing we can talk about. The illegal immigrant versus, you know, good person versus bad person coming for a better life, deserves a second chance, doesn't. You cannot win that argument because every American believes that everyone deserves a second chance. And anyone who sees a, a family or small child crossing the river, dying in, in, in the, the desert or whatever. You're never gonna win that argument, are you? Mm -hmm. It's the same playbook is my point. It's the same playbook with Ukraine. That strategy that was documented in 2012, and I'll happily send it to you and Todd. I would love you to proliferate it everywhere. That strategy was so successful that when the Parkland shooting happened all those years later, it was being that document was being circulated around Parkland High School, being given to those kids, training them and teaching them what to say and how to address the Second Amendment argument. So what you have here in information warfare terms is you have emotion being used because what motivates us to act? What motivates us to speak up and do something? It's emotion. Mm -hmm. It's what you mm -hmm. have in your heart. It's that mm -hmm. passion that drives you. So, you know, I remember as a kid learning a long time ago when I was studying Wordsworth, that what Wordsworth taught us in English literature is that pure emotion in poetry and in literature without any substance behind it was meaningless in the end. It just built it away and went to nothing. And that's what we have here. We have a we have a basically them exploiting our emotions. It's a it's a ruthless, absolutely mercenary ploy to exploit our emotions so that we don't question anything. 
we just go blindly forward. We send our children, we send our tax dollars over there, we send our children over there, we send our weapons over there. We don't think about what the broader you know, uh, concerns are for us. I mean, Todd, you said my concern is that at the very least we're prolonging a war that they can't win. What if it's worse than that? What if it's worse than that? And we're not just prolonging a war that they can't win, but we're going to bring that war to our doors. Well, that's because, my point. Yeah. Yes. It, it, and, it and, always escalates beyond where you want it to be contained. And and, and these me, are these are people that are the people involved do not believe in the Treaty of Westphalia. They don't no. believe in sovereign in sovereign borders, and that's what people have to understand. This is a different in, in type this, of war. Our borders. I mean, look at it. I just here's a very quick statistic for you. In the first six in the first six months of the last fiscal year, official noted apprehensions at the southern border were around three hundred and thirty thousand. In the first six months of this fiscal year, do you know what that number is? I think it's over a million, isn't it? Correct. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And of course, who am I talking to? Of course you would know. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. I mean, look at what, and that's before what everybody's talking about now. Suddenly everybody's concerned about Title 42 ending. You just wait and see because those numbers typically represent, well, they represent the lowest numbers of the year because they're the winter months, mm -hmm. you know, November, December, January, and so on. Now, what, what are you going into now? You're going into the highest months, June. You watch the first week of June. Those numbers are going to be through the roof. And never mind that. That last year, we had 2 million people come into this country that they acknowledged, that they acknowledged. How mm -hmm. many more? And at the very same time, Todd, you'll love this, right as they're saying they care so much about the Russians, the fact that you can, any Russian who wants to can walk across that border. Any Russian who wants. Well, also, I mean, Biden's and administration are, announced that they're going to they're gonna allow 100,000 Ukrainians here. You know, and, and that's 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 another question with all the human trafficking. I mean, people need to understand what those kind of people may be. I mean, yes, refugee. And let me say the Ukrainian people. I mean, they got me out of Kiev. I, I'm, I've been there for a decade. I love them. But it's not the whole population that is Nazified. It's 10 to 20 percent of the population, mostly in the east. And, you know, they're doing ethnic cleansing. If, if you're yeah. in a village in that region and you don't say a, a word right in either in Russian or Ukrainian, or if you don't, if you yeah. take a food package from a Russian soldier or, uh, you know, you can be shot. And, and they've been doing this since 2014, cleansing these areas. So, you know, I would. I mean, if you look at some yeah, online and I saw Romani women, right, gypsies, a group of them on the street being absolutely beaten by this uh, one uh, Nazi guy. I mean, for, for doing nothing, they're standing there sheltering, holding on to each other, you know, and he's beating them relentlessly over and over and over and over again. And they keep trying to move to get away from him and he keeps beating them some more. I mean, you're a hundred percent right, Todd. I don't think people have any idea what they're dealing with. There are mass graves that run all across the mm -hmm. Donbass region from Odessa to mm -hmm. Lugansk and so on. There are memorials, mm -hmm. there's, there's children in the thousands who've been killed. And we act like none of this mattered and none of it even happened. 
Well, people, yeah. you know, first, first of all, Americans are naive about foreign policy. And, and unless you're coming from that part of the world, they probably don't have any idea. But I mean, we, we need to acknowledge that the ethnic cleansing, the genocide happened in 2014, that people were burned alive in buildings, people were crucified, people were raped, murdered, and everything else. And, and you know, it, this is serious stuff, but the ignorance of this is willful. Because yes. the Biden administration is not telling the full story. They're acting as if this just started. And we, Todd, we saw that when you were in uh, Ukraine in February, everybody, all the networks were talking about how, oh, this just started, you know, this is day, day 10. And I'm thinking to myself, this is 2014, folks. But they, they, they were sticking to the Biden administration's talking points and forgetting the history. And Christine, you know, I will say in defense of the American people, right, because I live in flyover country and I live in a small town and I live with people who work seven days a week. And even mm -hmm. if they don't, even if they work five days a week, they work long days. They've got kids. You know what they do? They pay their bills. Right. They don't mm -hmm. spend more than they can afford. They're lucky if they can take their kids on vacation for two weeks a year. And you know what? They they rely on their journalists and their leaders to tell them the truth and to tell them what they need to know. And we can look at that and say, oh, you know, that's, they should do more and so on and so on. But when you don't live in a, in, you know, a big city, or even if you live in a small town and you, your life doesn't center around foreign policy and world mm -hmm. events and everything else, it is hard. And right now it's harder than it's ever been. I mean, well, you know, going to the grocery store, yeah, we have, we, have, we have journalists that lie. We have journalists that are lazy. We have journalists that have been bought. That, that is right. true. Going, going have, back to the uh, Antifa thing. are lying flat out. Mm -hmm. going, going back to the Antifa thing, uh, you know George Eliason over in Donbass, I believe, who writes George for us. George Eliason is amazing. He's um, amazing. And he's so a remarkable journalist. He reported for us a, a while back that the, the largest resettlement of Ukrainians were in the Seattle, Portland area over the last decade. And that was done by Brennan. And a lot of these guys were actually Antifa. Who oh, that's classic. But, um, you know, I was in a room over there. I, I had a meeting with a deputy foreign minister a few weeks ago in February. And the next group came in and the guy was, one of the guys was 25 years old. He had death heads on his collar. You know, he walks in, gives me a Nazi salute. He had the eagle on his wallet and he goes, white power. I'm like, holy shit. You know, this, this is not Kansas, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, it does exist. And what I want is people to be aware of it so they can make valid decisions on our own foreign policy. You know, I, I laugh because the irony is just too great. Mm -hmm. The irony is just too great that the center of Antifa in the United States is Seattle, Portland. I didn't mm -hmm. even know what you're telling me, that the largest mm -hmm. settlement of refugees is in Seattle mm -hmm. and in Portland. I mean, that's just, uh, it fits so perfectly. And I didn't know that. As I'm watching all of these videos, I'm watching the tactics, right? I'm watching the fireworks that are being used. I'm watching them set fire to policemen. I'm watching the fake narrative. I'm watching all of the similarities. And then you tell me that, I'm not surprised. And by the way, they really go nuts at Media Matters when I say this, so, but it's, so it's definitely worth repeating because I consider the attacks a roadmap to exactly mm -hmm. everything that they fear and don't want you to see and that are their weaknesses. So I would point you again to the insignia of the Azov Battalion, mm -hmm. which if you look closely, I mean, of course, NATO was so embarrassed, right? Because they put out the picture of the female soldier and they had the, and they had that, um, 
that that black stitching on a camel on a sort of dark olive patch which had the black sun of the occult and of course they love to say that i'm this unhinged conspiracy theorist lunatic because i'm talking about the black sun of the occult but the black sun was a nazi ss emblem and i'm not the ukrainian soldier in uniform with it on my uniform I mean, yeah. that's just a fact. And she's not the only one. You could find, I don't know if Google have gotten rid of it by now, but you could find uh, several others that I captured. And then if you look at the Azov Battalion's insignia, notice the, the uh, sideways lightning strike with the lines through it, which is literally the Nazi SS symbol. Okay, and there's more symbolism in it with the other sort of the emblem of the- Well, the, 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 guy, the guys who showed up for the first negotiation, I believe it was in, in Belarus, showed up in Nazi flight jackets from Western Ukraine from World War II. I mean, we report, I, nobody else would pick that story up. That amazed me. I mean, what so- like At a time when face. we supposedly yeah. hate Nazis, right? Yeah. As, mm -hmm. At a time when we're so anti-Nazi that every parent who goes to a school board meeting is a Nazi and a domestic terrorist, they wouldn't print your story. Yeah. So look, I mean, uh, again, I love the Ukrainian people. They've helped me a lot. I, I just don't want, I don't think this is our fight. It's a, it's a border dispute of Slavic nations. It's a frozen conflict of the Soviet Union and it's just not our fight. And American troops don't need to be there or we'll be we there. We made it our fight. Yeah. We made it's it our fight. And the question is why? Because the reason we made it our fight is why we're entangled there right now. I mean, let's face it, a year ago, six months ago, two months ago, could most Americans point to a map and show you where Ukraine is? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, today, today, um, Austin and, and Blinken, okay, met with Zelensky, and they made the announcement a couple hours ago that the, they were going to return our, dip of, our open up our embassy and return our people into Kiev um, next week. And that President Biden is going to announce a new ambassador to Ukraine. It'll be interesting to see what happens with this story. Because I, I don't know what that means, other than they're trying to say that the, uh, the Russians failed in Kiev. Uh, so now it's, you know, people can return. Well, uh, it'll be interesting to see if they send Maria Yovanovitch back, if she's done with her cushy job at courtesy of the U.S. taxpayer at GW University since yeah. she was former ambassador, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the problem, Todd, is it's one thing to say, okay, Ukraine's not our problem and it's a, you know, it's a cross-border dispute, blah, blah, blah. Um, why then was Ukraine at the center of what happened in 2016 and onwards during Trump's presidency? Why did we have an impeachment trial over Ukraine? I mean, there's no, no one can objectively look at that. You have Biden withholding uh, all that money, saying don't investigate. We know, everything we know about Hunter Biden's laptop, everything mm -hmm. we know about what Hunter Biden and others, Nancy Pelosi's son, right? I mean, and, and so on. All the other U.S. leaders whose children are involved over there in Ukraine. And when you look at, oh, don't you remember, uh, Christine, was it Paul Manafort? Magically, that black book appeared in which he had mm -hmm. conveniently documented all of mm -hmm. his crimes by, you right. know, by keeping, I mean, come on. Nobody has any idea if that. Uh, well, we, we have to we have to remove the Soros state capture from Ukraine. I mean, that's a whole nother issue. And speaking of Manafort, I was writing for the Washington Times at that point when that story came out. And I had met with Artem Sitnik, 
who was the head of NABU, the National Anti-Corruption Bureau in Kiev, a week before that story came out. And so I called his assistant that next morning and said, what is this black ledger? And she said, oh, we just pulled that off the internet. It's not real. They just made it up. <laughs> and so I reported that in 2015. Wow. And nobody, nobody would pick that up. And then he was prosecuted, you know, that he, he got kicked off Trump's campaign for that, which yeah, was all made up. You know? John Solomon's reporting was 100% accurate. Mm -hmm. And to stop John Solomon, to stop Rudy Giuliani, and to stop all of that coming out, they had to bring the impeachment. If you, if you recall, everyone was on television, on Fox, on everywhere, mm -hmm. saying all the time, they'll never impeach Trump. They'll never get the votes. This is dead in the Senate. This is dead in the Senate. And it was so frustrating to me because I kept saying, if it's dead in the Senate, if they know, if you know this, they know it. Therefore, impeachment isn't the goal, is it? Impeachment is not the aim. When they have zero mm -hmm. chance starting out right. of making it succeed, then they have another goal. And we haven't even addressed the National Endowment for Democracy. And look at else John Solomon's reporting revealed. He had those emails, which I believe are still on his site. I haven't checked lately, but he has that transparency feature where you can actually read the emails between the Soros people and uh, their contact in the US Embassy as they set up meetings and then as they follow up after the meetings. I mean, I just want to imagine that there is another organization that's basically running policy through US embassies and never mind the role of USAID. Right? Why we as taxpayers? And, and, and it's no wonder that Samantha Powers is running USAID right now, is it? Yeah, exactly. To continue, mm -hmm. and Ukraine is at somehow, is at the center of all of this. So, what I really fear is that regardless of what happens on the ground with Putin, this is, this is not going to end well for the United States. I mean, we, there is there are massive issues that uh, that all seem to come to a head in Ukraine that we haven't even begun to address. And I don't know. And, you know, I mean, it's pretty odd when you've got Zelensky. He wasn't just an actor, but you can find him doing a spoof video on the Internet in black stilettos. Yeah, with his homoerotic video. Pants and, I mean, <laughs> come on. What yeah. are we dealing with here? Yeah, yeah. And they say that we're the crazy ones. I just want to point that out. I know, I know. It it, it, I mean, it, what it the is. What are they doing? Well, I mean, when you're when you're walking around, and you've got Nazi insignia on your jackets, and then they call somebody else crazy. I I just I got to shake my head and say, so how does that work? And then, Christine, when you prove that the Azov Battalion is funded by the U.S. and NATO, that their mm -hmm. insignia is the Nazi insignia. I love what Jen Psaki says. Is, well, there's just there's not that many of them. Jan there may Sarkin be some Nazis in the Ukrainian military. Know. There are not that many of them. I just want. Can you imagine in the U.S.? Oh, it's fine. There's a bunch of Nazis. Well, there's there's the two full armed battalions. <laughs> yeah, and those are just the ones that acknowledge themselves, right? Right, That's what right. We can even deal with all the uh, all the units that they have that are not formally part of the Ukrainian military, the paramilitaries. Who are we, we we get that a lot. The response is, well, there's Nazis in Hungary, there's Nazis in Russia, and I just mm -hmm. see that, but they're not well armed and organized in the fighting battalions that are actively fighting other countries. You know, I just so. want to remind you what what you remember how they said we're taking away Ukraine's ability to defend itself. You remember all of that? Because what was it that Lieutenant Colonel Vindeman, the traitor, the absolute mm -hmm. worthless traitor? 
what what was he in charge of giving them the javelin missile do you remember that mm -hmm. which was i mean at the time the most advanced anti-tank technology that was out there it may still be the most advanced for all i know and yeah. so let's just think about what we've given to these nazis right we've given some extremely advanced weaponry which is which putin knows of Putin course he knows. knows. And that's why he's not going to sit there and wait for the first javelin to hit the palace in Moscow. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I, I don't think, I think Putin hasn't shown his full cards at all. Mm -mm. And why would he? I mean, you know, he's smart enough to have survived this long. So, of course, he's not going to show his full cards. And by the way, neither does the United States. I mean, it's there, he's going to do it, you know, he's going to do what we do, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like it's rocket science. You know, he doesn't have to be a genius not to show all of his cards. It's mm -hmm. basic statecraft. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. Well, Laura, um, we want you to come back. Okay. We want to see you more often. Thank you, Christine. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you, Todd. Yeah. I love yeah. hearing your stories of when you were there. I'm going to go back again. And by the way, George Eliasson, don't you think everybody should be following his work? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's, you know, it took me a while to warm up to him, but everything he has written has become, has been spot on, I have to say. And, so, you know, if you're looking for some of his work, look at Silent Partner on Substack. Mm -hmm. I've been, I've been following a lot of his work there. Yeah. Silent Partner on Substack. Poor George has been censored a lot because people just didn't believe what he was saying. But he's been to those mass graves. He's mm -hmm. filmed it. He's actually stood there as they've exhumed the bodies, you know, and that poor man has lived on a shoestring, been one of the few Americans, you know, um, lasting, staying out there in Ukraine. And uh, and this is, like you said, Todd, I mean, this has got nothing to do with whether Ukrainians are good people or bad people or anything mm -hmm. like that. There's, there's great people everywhere and nobody wants to see them suffer. But at the same time, we have a responsibility as journalists to look beyond the emotional arguments and especially the emotional traps that are being set for all of us. Completely agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's Thank terrifying. You. It's terrifying when people try to stop us from doing that because that's that's the role of journalists to get to the Yeah. Fight. That's yeah. exactly right, Christine. And you're one of the best. Oh, uh, so are you, sweetie. Keep we'll we'll, we'll see you Time soon. Stop. <laughs> you guys are better looking than me. <laughs> that's our job. See you soon. Okay. Bye.